0: Good morning Cornerstone, glad to be back with you all. Someone said that anxiety is the result of being too strong for too long. A lot of ways that's true. Anxiety is the result of being too strong for too long. But very often, anxiety results from being too stubborn to know when to let a thing go. Can anybody relate to that? Being too stubborn to know when things are out of control and you need to let go. The mission was a failure from the outset. And Moab was never the right place for Elimelech or his family to be. The mission was a failure at the outset. But Elimelech leaned to his own understanding. He walked by sight and not by faith. And now both Elimelech and his sons are dead. And Naomi, his wife, tried to hang on as best she could. She tried to move forward with her husband's vision for the family. But it's no use. She is older and tired, and she's no longer able to sustain herself in the land of Moab and she has to do what most adults hate to do. She has to tuck in her tail and she has to head for home. Because the pressures of life are crushing her spirit. She and her family had been strong and in the wrong for far too long. And It's time for her to admit the truth and do a reset. But how much of their resources, their time and their treasure has been wasted on this fruitless endeavor? How much of their energy, how much blood, sweat and tears have they sacrificed in Moab? You know, time is the most precious commodity that we humans have. There are not many worse feelings in the world than feeling like I am wasting my time. How much time did they waste? It is a ferocious blow to my pride to admit that I've been going in the wrong direction for a number of years. Nobody likes to admit that. It is a blow to my self-esteem to confess that I've been investing my energy into a cause that is doomed to fail. But the sooner you can come to terms with that reality, the sooner you can turn your ship around. Don't be like Elimelech and his family. Don't keep going in the wrong direction, deceiving yourself into believing that if you just hang on a little while longer, things might work out. Mm -mm. If what you are doing, if the way you have been living is not going the way that you had expected, if you feel lost, maybe it's time for you to head for home. Of course I speak primarily to us here in the body. But I also speak this morning to those who are outside of the family of God. If you have been trying to do life your own way and you can see that it's not working out, it's doomed to fail. If you have backslidden, if you have forsaken your faith, chasing after some thrill or some experience that is outside of God's will. But you know in your heart that your way will not end in anything good. Hmm. Today you need to stop being stubborn and come back home. You're not going to win. The kingdom cards are stacked against you. Sometimes you have to know when to let go, admit your mistake, and go home. Home. It's time for you to come back to Jesus Christ. Confess your missteps. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for your healing, for your deliverance, and for your freedom. It's time to change your mind and come home. This is what Naomi concluded. But as Naomi is going back home, Ruth is leaving her home. These two women heading in the same direction but for two completely different reasons in two different dispositions even. Naomi is going home out of conviction. God has convinced her that she is in the wrong place and she needs to go home. She's going back to Israel because she is convicted. But Ruth is leaving her home out of compassion and out of a deep commitment. She loves Naomi. She loves Naomi's people. She loves Naomi's God. She's cast her lot with Naomi, for better or for worse, richer or for poorer. Same direction to different reasons. Ruth is motivated from a genuine compassion. Ruth is not running away from Moab because of some famine or because of some sense of disillusionment. Ruth is leaving Moab by faith. A faith that is inspired by God. In fact, both of these ladies are being inspired by God to go back to the land of Israel. And so they both went on until they came to Bethlehem. We said a few weeks ago it takes about seven days to walk from Bethlehem to Moab. But that's if you have some men traveling along with you. These are women. I'm sure it took them a little bit longer, maybe even two weeks, because they couldn't travel at nighttime. They couldn't pitch their tent on the side of any road. They had to stay at a hotel or at an inn. It may have taken about two weeks to get back to Bethlehem. Traveling only in the daytime, avoiding shortcuts that might take them off of the road. Two weeks for Naomi to remember the past. Two weeks for Ruth to forget her past. For Naomi this is two weeks of worrying about how she's going to be received by her tribe when she returns. For Ruth it's two weeks of imagining what lies ahead for her in her life. Two weeks and they went on. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. I looked this word up, the Greek word for being stirred. It's very interesting. You know what it means? It means to go wild. All the city went wild because of them. And this little insight gives us some idea of who Naomi was before they left for Moab. Naomi wasn't always the woman that we meet in chapter one of the book of Ruth. Apparently people like Naomi, apparently people like Naomi's family. Apparently her family was popular among, the, the whole city went wild. But even more than that, even more than that, the whole city loved them. They were fond of Elimelech's family. And as they are so cheery because of Naomi's return, this outpouring of support and celebration just how much they loved her, just how much they needed her, just how much they depended on her. And so you can see then that Elimelech's decision to leave his people and to move to Moab must have broken a lot of people's hearts. They're happy now to see her return, but how sad must they have been to see Naomi leave. It was a selfish decision on Elimelech's part. It was a decision focused only on securing his own family. Not recognizing how his departure would affect the greater community. It was a selfish decision. No concern for all the other families that looked to them for support and for community. It was a selfish decision. And this is the bane of individualism that infects the church of Jesus Christ today. Where every person makes decisions based on their own perceived needs and not on the needs of the community, not on the needs of the body of Christ. Selfish people. Someone said that the extreme self-centered attitude is the source of all suffering because self-centeredness results in loneliness and fear and anger. And we can see and hear all of those emotions in Naomi. Loneliness, fear, and anger. Self-centeredness. As the women of the city surround her with songs and with gladness saying, is this Naomi? Somebody pinch me, I must be dreaming, is this Naomi? Naomi means to be pleasant, to be pleasant. But that's who Naomi was before the loss of her husband and before the loss of her sons, pleasant. She was a pleasant person, she was health giving. And the women of that city had come to depend on her. She was a pillar in her community. Is this Naomi? She was the kind of person who had a ton of stories to tell every time you saw her. She was the kind of woman who always had a wise saying to share with you when you felt kind of blue. Naomi, the pleasant one. She was pleasant. She was pleasant to be around. To be pleasant is to have a hopeful sense of satisfaction and joy. To be pleasant, hopeful sense of satisfaction and joy. Are you pleasant? Are you helpful to be around? Do you radiate with a sense of happy satisfaction and joy? Are you pleasant? And did you know that being pleasant is a choice? Being pleasant is a choice. Believe me, believe me. Naomi was not always satisfied with her life. Believe me, Naomi's heart was not always brimming over with joy, neither before they went to Moab nor after she returned. She was not always happy. She was not always up and going. Naomi had some bad days before the famine ever came, but she was still pleasant. And all we have to do is consider the names that she gave her two boys. And we can be justified in assuming that all was not well in Naomi's house. Long before they ever went to Moab, Naomi named one of her boys Malone, which means to be sick or sickly. Can you imagine that? The baby comes out, congratulations, this is a boy. What you gonna name him? Sickly. And then she named the other boy Chileon. Chileon means wasting away. <laughs> Who names their children? What? Look at him. What do you think? What do you think his name's be? Wasting. wasting away. <laughs> My daughter was born weighing nine pounds, I believe. And she was wasting away. She was losing a pound a day. I was in Korea. She was losing one pound a day. You could put him in a, in a shoebox, was wasting away. I rushed home from Korea and prayed for her and God spared her life but the child was wasting away one of them is sickly and the other one is wasting away this is the name of her children you can tell that things were not well in their household by that alone these are not the kinds of names you give to healthy children They named their babies what they saw in them and tragically what they saw was sickness and fading away, how depressing. We don't know what kinds of diseases they may have had, but it must have been visible in some way. They could see it. So Malone was sick and Chilion was wasting away from the day that they came into the world, but somehow Naomi was still pleasant. With all the negativity going on in her house, somehow she managed to still be pleasant. Being pleasant is a choice. You don't have to look like what you're going through. Jesus said when you fast, wash your face and put oil on your body so that it does not appear to other people that you're fasting. Even when you're fasting, you should be pleasant. Even when you're hungry, you should still be pleasant. Even when you lose your job, you should still be pleasant, helpful to be around. You should not change based upon your circumstances is what I'm trying to say. (sighs) Naomi was pleasant with two sick babies at home. Even with her problems raising sons who needed extra care and attention. Even though the doctors, through the doctor's appointments and all of their emotional issues, even, even though she stayed up late some nights trying to soothe their hurts and their pains. In the morning, Naomi, was still pleasant. And I'm sure the women in her community didn't know how she did it. How are you taking care of two sick babies, taking care of your house, taking care of your husband? How do you remain so pleasant, Naomi? They couldn't imagine how she could be so jovial with so many bad things going on in her life. And that made Naomi all the more pleasant to be around because she was an inspiration to so many people who were going through. Naomi was pleasant even in time of crisis. And that's how her community remembered her. But Naomi was pleasant because of the grace of God in her life. Not because of some innate virtue in Naomi, no, no. She was pleasant because of God's grace in her life. Naomi was pleasant because God always allowed her to see the good even in the bad. Naomi was pleasant because God gave her his special grace to help her make it through the tough years of raising her sickly children. Her pleasantness didn't cost her anything. And she didn't have to put forth any effort to be pleasant. It was a special grace that she was given by God. Take a moment and look back over your life. Some of you have to look back a long way, some of you only have to look back a short way. But take a moment to look back over your life. Do you remember? Do you recall? when you first came to Jesus? When the light finally came on in your soul and you received Jesus Christ? Do you remember how you were always so full of joy and nothing seemed to be impossible? Do you remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you recall how how exciting your life was? How it seemed like God was always right there on the ready to give you your heart's desire. Do you remember those days? Yeah, I remember those days. Do you ever wonder what happened to those days? What happened to that joy that used to exude from you without any effort? What happened? What caused you to lose that inspiration that you once had? That excitement that you once had for the things of God? What happened? Hmm. When we come to God, very often God gives us a season of great joy as an introduction to the kingdom of God. That's just the introduction to the kingdom of God. When we first come to Christ, God shows us all that we have inherited and all that is available to us through Christ Jesus. That's the honeymoon period of our salvation and I remember that honeymoon period very well. There was nothing you could do to get me down in those first years of coming to Jesus. You could curse me out, I would smile and give you a blessing. You could do whatever you want, say whatever you wanted. There was nothing that could move me. I felt invincible in Christ. Yeah, you remember that. I remember it well. When hopefulness came as a second nature to me, I was always hopeful, always optimistic, always positive. You remember that, right? What happened? Hmm. As we grow in Jesus Christ, there comes the moment where we have to learn to prime the pump of our salvation for ourselves. That's what happens. There comes a point as we walk with Jesus Christ that he begins to command us to tell us that if you want to achieve the joy and the peace and the hopefulness, you've got to put in some work. The honeymoon is over. That's what happened. The same joy that you had when you first came to Christ, that same joy is still available to you. But now you have to put in some work in order to possess what is already yours by faith. I think about David, man. A little boy taking his brother some food on the front line of the war. I think about David. A little kid walking out there with his little satchel of food. Goliath is out there saying he's gonna beat all of them. A little kid, what, what is he saying, what did he say, what did he say? How tall is he? I don't care how tall he is. I'm gonna take care of him. Give him a sling. Give me a rock. You come against us in the name of whatever. I'm coming in the name of my Lord. Boom, Goliath falls down. What happened to David? David David was full of faith. David believed. (laughs) David was young. David was new to the faith. And David was in a honeymoon period. You meet David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, when those same Philistines came and took his children and took his wife and took all of the wives and children, all of the soldiers were with him. They took everything, robbed and pillaged all of their belongings. That same David, you expect that David's going to go find his sling. Oh, we're going to do the same thing we did last time. You stole my people, give me a rock, give me a sling. I'm going to go. No, he doesn't do that this time. What happened to David? (laughs) You never see David use a rock and a sling ever again. That was phenomenal faith. What happened to David's faith? (laughs) The Bible says, that after they took David's wife and children and all the soldiers who were with him and took all of their possessions that the men that were with David rose up against him and were talking about stoning David to death. If David was 13 years old, he'd say, hey, guys, cheer up, man. They took our people in the name of their God. We're gonna go back and take them back in the name of the living God. Come with me. Get your sling. Let's, that's what he would have said when he was 13. <laughs> What does David have to do now? The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's not like it was when I was a boy. That encouragement I had when I was a boy is not coming right now, I've gotta figure it out. I've got to encourage myself, I've got to put in some work. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And after he encouraged himself, he said, God, shall we pursue them or not? He didn't ask God anything when Goliath was out there. He just ran out there and went to work. Now he has to, I'm not so certain. What do you want me to do here? David had to encourage himself because it wasn't free anymore. Hmm. What happened to you? You have to learn now how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Because what happened to David is the same as what happens to you and to me as we grow grow in God's grace. David now has to work to sustain the faith that used to seem like it was second nature to him. There is nothing wrong with you, child of God. You're not backsliding. You're not falling out of love with God. No, you're just growing up. And those special spiritual qualities you once possessed are still yours. But now God requires that you put in some work to maintain your own spiritual health. That grace of joy and hopefulness and faith is no longer free for you you have to choose it. Hopefulness is no longer freely flowing from heaven upon you. Now you have to choose hope, and you have to pursue hope. Remember when you used to be pleasant. Maybe you thought you were pleasant because of the church you were attending. Maybe you thought you were pleasant because of the friends that surrounded you, but no. That was the special gift of God's grace. And the reason you don't have joy now is because you're not working for it. You're waiting for it to fall out of heaven like it did when you first came to Jesus and it's not going to do that. If you want joy, the song says you've got to now reach for it. When I was six years old, I can go to my mom and say, Mom, I want to cook you off the shelf and she'd gladly get the, here you go, son. But if I walked to my mom at 16 years old, Mom, I need a cookie off of, huh? You're 16 years, you can't reach the cookies? No, Mom, I need you to get the cookies for me. You know what Mom will do? <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's what God is doing to some of you right now. I'm sitting and waiting for joy again. I'm so unhappy, and I'm, I'm filled with anxiety. God, me, and God is saying, how old are you now? No. If you want joy, reach for it. I'm not gonna keep getting down joy for you. You've been with me long enough now. You know that joy belongs to you. You know that faith belongs to you. You know that peace belongs. You reach for it yourself. But I can't reach it. Well then don't get it. That's how you talk to your teenage children. <laughs> Little six year old, you just get them to the cook, you don't worry about it. At 16 years old, no, nah, no, nah, buddy, no you don't want to reach for it, you don't, you, don't, you don't need it. That's what God is saying to some of you today. Where is your joy? You haven't reached for it. God has not changed, the kingdom of God has not changed, you have not changed. You refuse to put in the work and God is refusing to keep hand feeding you because as I say so many times from this pulpit, In the kingdom of God, God has many children, but God does not have many babies. There are mature believers and there are babes in the kingdom of God. Everybody's not a child. And whether you like it or not, you come to a certain point in your walk with Jesus where he starts treating you like an adult. And that hurts. Because he wanted for free, you want your pacifier forever, and God said, "No, you're not a baby anymore, Calvin." No, we're not doing that. Again. I, I remember plainly when God reintroduced Himself to me. <laughs> yeah, I remember it plainly, man. I had what you would call a charmed life. Everything I asked God just fell out of the sky. Every is it true? Anything I asked. Radical, ridiculous things I had faith to believe. It would just fall out of the... I remember plainly when God said, no more of this. Work for it. Go through the process for it. Hmm. Sanctification is a process. Everybody wants a miracle. Everybody wants to wake up in the morning and be something different and be something new and have something better. Miracles are fine but miracles don't help you grow. Write that one down. Miracles are fine, but miracles don't help you grow. You grow when you put in the work. Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach him how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. God says give a man joy, he'll be happy for a day. But if I teach you how to possess joy on your own, You'll be joyful for a lifetime. (laughs) Put in the work. Don't be like Naomi. Put in the work. Naomi's pleasantness was a gift from God. Got her through the tough days of having sickly children. But instead of her learning how that joy was being dispensed to her, she thought that was the way things would always be. And whenever she was overwhelmed, she just expected that joy would appear like it did when she was raising her sons, like like Samson. (laughs) After his great fall when they cut off his hair. And he was powerless and weak. He felt vulnerable and afraid. He was reaching for his strength, he was waiting for God to give him back his strength, and God was not moving, and heaven was silent. And Samson had to figure something out. And what Samson came to realize was that his power was never in his hair after all. His power was always in his faith. And when Samson decided, I'm going to work for this, I'm going to pray for this, Lord, restore my power with my hair, without my hair, it doesn't matter. Lord, give me power. One more time, when he put in the work, God gave him power. Hmm. All of his life, his power had been free. He didn't do anything to gain strength. He didn't even exercise. He didn't have to. God just gave him strength for free, Uh uh-huh. But by the end of his life, he had to work for that strength. He had to put in the work and believe God for the impossible. Amen. Yeah, That's how God grows children. By putting us in the fire. Reminding us when we're in the, when we're in the heat of the battle of our minds. And we're feeling depressed and afraid as if God has abandoned us. God whispers into the storm and says, Calvin. Remember that faith you used to have? You still have it, just use it. And I'm in the flame, no, I'm tired, I'm tired. Calvin, calm down, calm down. Remember that faith you used to have? You still have it, just use it. Calm down in the fire. Call upon your faith. That's the training, that's the training. Yeah. So many believers have been stuck in the same cycle for years and years and years and years. They can't seem to break out because they refuse to grow up. Hmm. Remember how you used to have joy? You can have joy again. But now joy has to be choice, more prayer, more studying the word of God, more faithfulness. Is this Naomi? (laughs) Are you still pleasant? Naomi turns around and says to them, listen, do not call me Naomi. Do not call me pleasant. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Call me bitter, from pleasant to bitter. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. Hmm. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. There are a lot of bitter Christians in the house of God. There are a lot of Christians who have lost the joy of their salvation. And they're running from church to church and from house to house trying to reclaim because they think that their joy is in something external from themselves. But God is saying, no, your name is not bitter. Your name is still pleasant. You simply no longer know who you are. Naomi is making the mistake that too many believers make today. Naomi's identity is grounded in her experience and not in the word of God. Her external circumstances are deforming her interior life and she's being reshaped and recast from the environment instead of by the hands of her God. And that was her choice. She didn't choose for her husband to die. She didn't choose for her sons to die, but she chose how she would respond. Don't become bitter against God. Don't become bitter in your life because of the things that God allows. All things work together for good. To those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do not become bitter when you are chastised by him. Naomi chose to be bitter. She chose to be defined by her problems and by her pain. She chose to view her negative experiences as signs of God's love or signs of God's displeasure. But children of God, we do not find our identity in this world. We do not find our identity in our experiences in this world. We find our identity in Jesus Christ alone. And no matter how things seem or appear on the outside, no matter how difficult our lives may be, we do not yield to the flesh and we do not bow to the pressures of this life. We do not allow our negative experiences to convince us that we are anything more or anything less than the children of God, blessed forever. I feel like this message is for many of us today. Like some of us are struggling emotionally, trying to understand what God is doing in our lives. Everything seems to be upside down and topsy And I I fear that many of us are drawing the wrong conclusions from the experiences that we're having. God is not against you even if God afflicts you. God is for you. (laughs) And if you need joy during this season, just reach for it. Reach for it in prayer. Trust God. When you don't understand what he's doing, trust his heart. Don't allow yourself to become bitter. <laughs> no matter what life throws you away, keep your joy. And this joy is born out of a deep and sincere love for God. I love God too much to accuse him of being unfair to me. I'll say it again, I love God too much to accuse him of being unfair to me. Don't allow your life experiences to turn you against your God. And you'll know when you turn against him, you'll know when you turn against him. It's not a matter of being angry and bitter and shaking your fist at God. When you stop reading your Bible, you're turning around. When you stop praying, you're turning. You're not doing it fast, it's real slow. You're subtly turning away from God. When you stop thinking about God, you're turning away. Keep God at the center of your mind, at the center of your heart, at the center of your thoughts. Bind his word upon your heart. And if you're going in the wrong direction, if you're pursuing something that is not from God, if you're pursuing something and you can tell that God is not blessing this, this is not going anywhere, my advice and my counsel to you today is to let it go. Stop pursuing things that are not the will of God for your life. Admit that you're going in the wrong direction and turn around. That's what it means to repent, to change your mind and to go in a new and a different direction. Naomi chose to be bitter. I hope that today you will choose to have hopeful joy and deep satisfaction in your life. Let's pray. Father God, life, (laughs) life is not always easy for us. You know it so much better than we. There are obstacles, inconveniences, suffering and pain. Sometimes we experience great loss. Sometimes it feels like our lives don't make any sense and there is no rhyme and no reason. And we are tempted in those seasons, Lord God, to become bitter, to become angry, to isolate ourselves in protest. Father, I ask that you would convict our hearts today, that you would help us to turn around and to come back home to come back to our first love. Remind us again, Lord God, of just what that joy and that peace was like when we first met Jesus and restore the joy of our salvation as you renew right spirits within each of us. And for those who will see this video, for those who are watching even right now, Father, I pray that if anyone has not received you, If anyone has not received Jesus Christ as Lord and confessed that you have raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if anyone is watching who is not within the family of God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would convict them and convince them of your love. And as for those of us, Lord God, who have turned away from you, who no longer seek satisfaction through you, who no longer find our hope in you. I pray that as we repent today, as we confess today, that you'll help us to turn around, that you'll give us new eyes and new faith, that you'll restore our joy and our peace, and that you'll train us, Lord God, how to sustain that joy, how to sustain that peace as we are reconciled to you. We love you, God. We don't do it as perfectly as we would like, but our hearts are sincere. We pray that you'll receive the gift of our sincere hearts, and that you'll bless us not because of anything that we've done, but because of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. To him be all glory and honor and praise in his name.